This is the Money Seed Podcast, where we discuss all things investing, plain and simple, the way it should be. Please remember, this show is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended to be investment advice. Welcome back to the Money Seed Podcast. My guest today is John Cash. John is the CEO of UR Energy, based out of Wyoming, and they are involved in uranium mining. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Gabe. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to this. John, give us the 10,000-foot view. What is UR Energy? Yeah, we're a, a uranium mining company focused in Wyoming. We have two projects here. One of them is up and running. It's been producing now uh, since 2013, and that's a project called Lost Creek. We have a second project that we have not built out yet. It is fully permitted, but we haven't built it out yet, and we'll be considering from time to time whether to pull the trigger and build it out, but that's called Shirley Basin, and that's just south of Casper, Wyoming. But yeah, that's really our focus, uranium mining. We are a pure play company focused exclusively in Wyoming. And one thing that's maybe a little bit unusual about us is the technology we use for uranium mining. It's called in situ. So we don't actually dig up the rock. We uh, inject water into the formation where the uranium is. That dissolves it. We pump it to the surface. So our technology is very different than a lot of other mining technologies. Uh, but it's not unique to the mining industry as far as uranium goes. About half of the world's uranium is recovered using in situ. So it's really clean, uh, low impact. And uh, if you go to one of our mine sites, you couldn't even tell it's a mine. So, but that's really what we're up to, mining uranium and selling into an ever-improving market as the world moves to nuclear. John, the ticker symbol for UR Energy is URG. You guys are listed on the NYSE and the stock has been doing fantastic. It's up, you know, almost uh, 90% in the last you know, nine months or so, give or take. And uranium in general has been doing well, uranium ETFs are up 30, 40% year on year or something similar. Why uranium and why now? What's happening in the industry? Wow. Uh, it would take days to cover everything that's going on. It's, uh, I've been in the industry for 30 years and hands down, this is the most exciting our industry has been probably since the 70s. Uh, but really about two, three years ago, the world really began to understand that if we're going to go to green energy, carbon neutral, that renewables are great. They certainly have their place, but they really don't represent very good, reliable base load power, at least not yet, not until we have the battery backup, the capacity to do that. So when you're looking for green energy that's reliable and base load, you really have hydropower, which we've pretty well built all the dams we can build, or you have nuclear power. And so with that realization a few years ago that nuclear was really that base load that was needed to back up the renewables, people began to invest in it more. Countries began to look at it more, more interest, more excitement, more investment. And then geopolitics began to play a major role as well. Uh, when Russia invaded Ukraine, Russia represents the largest refining company, our country in the world when it comes to nuclear power. And so the world is trying to move away from Russian supplies to Western supplies. So that's added a lot of uh, geopolitical intrigue, if you will, into this. Congress is now involved in that. And uh, com companies here in the US and in Europe are trying to ramp up production to replace that Russian supply and former Soviet satellite supply as well, because there's a lot of uranium mining from there. So you throw all of those things together and that's really what's driving the world uh, toward nuclear power. 
Right now, the demand is outstripping the supply by quite a lot. And so the miners are trying to catch up with production, but that is not easy. Permitting uranium mines, as you can imagine, takes many, many years. Building them can take years. Ramping them up can take a year or two. So it's going to take a while for that supply to catch up with demand, and that's driving prices as well. So yeah, a lot going on right now, Gabe, that's really driving the market in our favor. And is the demand mainly coming from the United States or is it international? So the demand in the United States has been relatively stable. It had been forecast to decline. However, because of the renewed interest in nuclear power, it has really been stable. The, the reactors are staying online for the foreseeable future. The demand growth really is out of Asia. China has a massive build out going on right now. They have 10 reactors under construction as we speak. Uh, right now, there are 436 reactors in the world. China plans to build 150 reactors over the next 10 years, and they're on target. That's not just hypothetical conversation. They are on target to do that. India is building out. South Korea has reversed their policy. They're building out. Finland, England, France, the U.S., we started a reactor in 2023. That's the first reactor, new reactor we've started in many, many years. There's a second reactor, a new reactor coming online in the U.S. here this up this year in 2024 uh, down in Georgia, uh, building, built by a company called Southern Company. And I can go on and on and list other countries that are building up nuclear power. Uh, but yeah, it's Asia in particular, Europe, and even in the U.S., nuclear power plants are being built all over the world. And you know, one thing that's interesting is uh, the reactors that are being built right now, they're the big 1,000 megawatt, 1,100 megawatt reactors, the uh, conventional style reactors. But there's growing interest in what are called small modular reactors. And the uh, Nuclear Energy Institute, the NEI, which is a trade group that represents most of the nuclear utilities here in the U.S., they took a poll of their members here not so long ago and the estimation was that by the year 2050 in the U.S., there could be as many as 300 small modular reactors. And these small modular reactors essentially are maybe one third the size, uh, one quarter the size of a conventional reactor. But their claim to fame is, is they're factory built. So they turn them out on a factory line one after the other. The designs are all the same. So it drives down the cost dramatically by constructing them that way. Then they take the components to the site, set them down, and uh, can very quickly build them out and put them into production, especially in remote areas like northern Canada or at remote mine sites or uh, areas where there are major chemical plants that need steam heat. They can be put in there. So a lot of interest in that. It's really not an investing thesis yet, but definitely for something for your listeners to keep a close eye on. I would say within five to eight years, the demand for uranium is going to see more pressure, not just from the conventional reactors, but also increasingly from the small modulars. And do you see the industry being able to deal with waste? I know that in the past, mm -hmm. that's probably one of the biggest question marks or biggest concerns people have is the nuclear waste. How do you deal with it? Where you put it? And I do recall that several decades ago, there was research into developing new types of reactors that can actually further process the yeah. waste. So you have less waste per kilowatt hour produced, et cetera. Do you know whereabouts is that technology and how big of a concern is the waste? 
Yeah, the technology has been around for a very, very long time, decades, in fact. Uh, that technology was developed in the very early years of the uh, nuclear age. Uh, so it's out there. Some of the small modular companies that are looking to design and build out, they're looking at building that style of reactor so that it can not only burn fresh uranium, freshly mined uranium, but it also has the ability to burn waste, nuclear waste. Uh, that doesn't mean we totally get rid of nuclear waste, but it can fairly dramatically reduce the quantity. But Gabe, I got to point out that um, we really don't generate much nuclear waste in the U.S. If you, for example, got 100% of your electricity from nuclear power, all of the waste that would be credited to your account over your entire lifetime would fit in one soda can, one uh, Pepsi can. Uh, it would all fit in there. Right now, that waste is being stored at uh, interim storage at reactor sites. There is an objective by the federal government to have long-term storage. Uh, but I think it's really not appropriate to call it waste storage because ultimately in the long run, we will as a society go back, take that waste again, reprocess it, and burn it again. We only extract a very small percentage of the energy uh, from that uranium in the first pass. A tremendous amount of energy is left. So ultimately, we will end up recycling that in small modular and other styles of reactors uh, in the future. So. I hate to characterize it as waste uh, because it, it will be burned again. Uh, you know, it's interesting that when you look at the fossil fuel industry, the waste that they generate, a lot of that is just belched into the air. And that waste is not controlled or contained. It is just sent out around the world uh, where it can cause harm. It's not controlled whatsoever. But in the nuclear industry, every bit of our waste is contained. We can tell you exactly where every bit of it is and it's controlled. So when we talk about nuclear waste as an issue, I, I honestly, I don't see it as a technical issue. I see it as a perception issue. And it's kind of like people, some people are afraid to fly because they can't control the airplane. So they feel it's dangerous. But in reality, driving a car is much more dangerous than an airplane. I think the, it's a similar psychology when it comes to nuclear power. People don't understand the physics behind it and what happens. So in their mind, they see these disastrous scenarios like uh, Hiroshima, Nagasaki. That's what they relate it to or to uh, you know, other events that have happened at nuclear power plants like in Ukraine or Japan, for example. Uh, but when you take a look at the safety record for nuclear power, it's better than any other uh, generation of power out there. It's better than wind and solar. It's better than uh, hydro, better than oil and gas. It's got an incredibly good safety record when you look at the whole life cycle. So we're proud of that. And uh, we have to work on public perceptions. We need to do more education. I agree with you 100% that uh, a lot of this is just perception. Whereas I think the uh, environmentalist movement, maybe over the last 30, 40, 50 years, has really focused on convincing people not to go the nuclear mm -hmm. route. Whereas in reality, I mean, if, if we're talking about climate change and a lot of people believe that climate change is one of those things that we absolutely have to tackle, nuclear power is a big part of that equation. So it's kind of a sad irony that the environmentalist movement was anti-nuclear for a long time. When in reality, if we would embrace nuclear power, I think we would uh, do a, do us a, do ourselves a favor in the climate mm -hmm. change uh, battle. But yeah. uh, getting back to uh, the United States right now, roughly, correct me if I'm wrong, about 20% of uh, U.S. energy comes from nuclear 
in some countries like France, I, I think it's like somewhere around two thirds or something like 67% right. of France's power comes from nuclear. What do you think is the, the future potential for nuclear here in the United States? Certainly more than 20%. Do I think we ever get uh, to 75%? No, I don't think that's likely. I think wind and solar are going to continue to play a key role in our carbon-free energy generation here in the U.S. Uh, I, I would estimate that over time we'll see less and less coal burned here in the U.S., uh, less and less oil and gas. But uh, I think, yeah, we're looking at hydro, nuclear, and the renewables really uh, leading the way for many decades to come. Uh, beyond the decade uh, view, going out further, uh, hopefully we can continue to make advancements on fusion. But that is an incredibly technical arena. Uh, we've been working on fusion globally. Governments have been working on it globally for decades. And we continue to make baby steps in the right direction. So it's a long ways out. But ultimately, I think we get there. But it's many, many decades from now, most likely. Yeah, I think that's fusion is going to be one of those technologies that's always one decade away, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, John, uh, speak to me a little bit more about uranium mining in America in general. I mean, I live in California. I know California, it's really difficult to get any kind of a mining permit. You know, a lot of people will do everything they can to stop any kind of mine, whether it's uranium or anything else. Um, what is the environment like in Wyoming and, and maybe mm -hmm. state United States in general? Yeah. So maybe let's talk about geography for just a second. Most of the uranium mines in the U.S., in fact, all of the uranium mines in the U.S. are located in the Mountain West. So Wyoming is the number one producer. Uh, Texas also historically has had production as well as Utah, Nebraska, extreme western Nebraska has had some production, Colorado. Uh, so just kind of up and down that spine of the Rockies, that's simply because the, the geology is right there. It's not because of politics or permitting issues or anything like that. It's just that's where the deposits are found. There are some exceptions to that. There are some deposits in Nevada, uh, Washington State. The Virginia has a very nice deposit. Uh, they've had some trouble with permitting that. I don't know that that will ever get permitted. But the vast majority of the resource in the U.S. is in that Mountain West area. So there are a small handful of companies that work in the U.S. Uh, it's a very small universe, Gabe, uh, probably one of the very smallest of any commodity that's out there. Uh, um, I can honestly say that I probably know half of the people in the industry in the U.S. I think that's a fair statement. Uh, certainly know uh, most of the executives and even most of the staff uh, at the company. So we all know each other. We're all friends and uh, we all work to advance the industry together. But it, when it comes to permitting, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission is the overarching authority when it comes to nuclear material here in the U.S. There is a way where states can take over that authority. They still are under the NRC, but they can regulate at the state level. And the NRC is more just a, in the role of supervising, looking from a distance and keeping an eye on things. But that's called an agreement state status. And so a number of states have taken that over, like Utah. In Wyoming, for example, they are now, they regulate activity within their boundaries when it comes to uranium mining. And there is a whole litany of other regulatory regimes that we're under, not just the NRC. We're under the EPA. We're under the Bureau of Land Management. If you're working on federal lands or forest service, uh, there are a number of state agencies like State Engineer's Office for Water Usage. And I won't go through the whole list, but it's, it's alphabet soup when it comes to permitting and operating a uranium mine. 
in the U.S. Uh, right now, the production is mostly in situ. Uh, in situ, again, is a Latin word. It means in the place where we simply inject water into the ore body and dissolve it, pump it to the surface. Uh, so a pretty good percentage of is that. Uh, but there is also some conventional mining that is beginning to come online, and that's uh, all underground mining, uh, Arizona and Utah. So there is a good mix there of the two technologies spread across a very small handful of companies. Uh, we were the first ones to come back into production uh, from the market uh, being depressed post-Fukushima. Uh, there's another company called Encore that's coming online, and then also Energy Fuels. So right now in the U.S., uh, we're leading the way, but we've got two uh, good companies, good peers that are uh, not very far behind us with production. I know all those guys. They're, they're great guys. Uh, very, very investable stories. So, uh, but not many of us out there, but that's kind of what's going on in the U.S. right now is production begins to, to ramp up. And I think we'll see some more companies uh, bringing production online uh, over the coming six months or year. The market's so hot right now. Uh, the spot price for uranium today, I, I think it closed about $105, a little over $105 a pound. Uh, that's the highest it's been in a very, very long time, since 2007, in fact. Uh, and so it's moving up very rapidly. We'll, we'll see where it settles out at. But right now, I would say an awful lot of the projects in the U.S. are well into the money and can be very profitable once they get ramped up and going. John, Nothing that we say on this show is investment advice. This is just two people talking, you know, but uh, if somebody wants to get in on the uranium boom, what are some ways people can invest? First off, you got to do your homework. And I'm not a financial advisor, uh, but you really need to look at the companies you're investing in. Uh, mining has risk to it, significant risk, and it's not for everybody. So, uh, but if you're willing to accept that risk portfolio, do your homework on the companies. I would always say, look at which companies have had successful production in the past. If they haven't had successful production in the past, you got to scratch your head and do a little more homework and make sure you really want to invest in that company. Uh, but take a look at that. And then if you don't want to invest in a specific mining company, there are a number of ETFs out there. You can search for those online, find them very quickly uh, that uh, can spread that risk out across the industry a little bit more. And so that's another way to to jump into the space. And then another way is uh, the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust. We affectionately call it SPUT. Uh, but SPUT is a trust. It's out of Canada. And they have an ATM. They sell shares on the ATM. And then they take the proceeds from the ATM. And uh, when certain pricing conditions are met, they take that capital and they actually buy physical pounds of uranium and they hold it in inventory. So investors... By investing in that trust, they are essentially investing in physical uranium without having to hold it themselves. Uh, Sput holds it for them. So that's an interesting way to do it. Uh, Sprott is the company that does it. They have uh, other trust funds for gold, silver, and other exotic metals. So they're not new to this, uh, but they are relatively new to uranium, but they've been doing a great job. They hold over 63 million uh, pounds of uranium now in the trust. And that's one of the other things that's really driving the price of uranium. There are some trust funds out there, other funds that see the value of uranium and they think the price has been too low. So they are out buying pounds because they really firmly believe the price is going to go higher. So they're, they're driving the price as well. So yeah, a number of ways to invest. 
just really would encourage your listeners to really do your homework, uh, talk to investment professionals, get advice from them before you jump in. John, let's talk a little bit more about your career. You are now the CEO, and I believe you're also the president of the board at UR Energy. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about your personal mm-hmm. journey and maybe offer us some some tips and guidance for those listeners who have dreams and aspirations of becoming CEO themselves. Yeah, you know, life never goes how you think it will. Um, as it's twists and turns, and uh, hopefully most of those are good. But I'm a geologist by training. Uh, got a bachelor's and master's degree in geology. Love geology. But the funny thing is, uh, I I graduated I worked for BHP for a few years doing uranium work here in the U.S. Uh, that work dried up. I was able to continue in the uranium space. Uh, not, I wasn't really looking to continue in the uranium space. It just happened that way and uh, came out to Wyoming and worked for a couple of companies out here doing uh, regulatory affairs, production, um, safety. But, you know, I never went back to geology. I only did geology my first three years out of college. But that was the stepping stone, Gabe. That, that's really what opened the door uh, to move into these other arenas. And so I, I think the advancement in my career is really not so much a commentary on my abilities as I just had the right opportunities at the right time. And I was willing to take those. Uh, I think some people may have said, no, I'm a geologist. I'm not going to go into regulatory affairs. And so they would not have had that opportunity going forward. But I said, no, I'll do that. I want to learn as much as I can. And so I had a number of opportunities to work geology, production geology, regulatory affairs, safety, permitting, production, chemistry. And every time an opportunity was thrown at me, I said, hey, I love being steep on the learning curve. Let's jump in and uh, see where this takes it. And so I think really that breadth of experience is what guided me into the CEO's position. Not that I had any great expertise in any one of them, uh, but I had a nice broad platform uh, to work from. So, but, you know, for young people that are in college right now, we just simply encourage you, be curious, always be learning. I never pass up an opportunity to learn. And if you're curious and you, you try to satisfy that curiosity by reading, asking questions, rubbing elbows with the right people, It'll be a natural progression for you to grow your career into an executive role if that's what you want. And so that's what I would encourage you to do. And of course, you have to have integrity. You have to have the ability to communicate and you've got to focus on those two things. But those with curiosity, I think uh, any young person, if they take those, they've got a bright future ahead of them. John, where can people uh, go to learn more about your energy? Yeah, our website, it's fantastic. A lot of technical information as well as company information. It's www.ur-energy.com. Sounds great. I'll put that into the show notes. John Cash, CEO and president of UR Energy. Thanks very much for joining us. All right. Thank you, Gabe. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Money Seed Podcast. Please remember to click like and subscribe. It really helps spread the message to other investors and it helps attract new viewers to the show. We appreciate your support. Thanks very much.